You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. It's always wonderful when the worship prepares you for the word. And I feel prepared to minister this morning through the worship. It's an honor to minister God's word on the first Sunday of 2016. The Lord normally gives me a message before I'm asked to minister. And that's not a bad thing, because I don't normally change the topic regardless of what happens. And what I want to speak on, or I feel the Lord has drawn me to speak on this morning, is one of the great Pentecostal charismatic themes. I want to speak this morning on the anointing, on the anointing. And the good news I have is that the anointing is not limited to ministry or to ministers or to pastors. And I want to show you from God's word that every one of us here this morning can be anointed and receive an anointing from God for the work that he has for us to do. One of the great distinctives of Pentecostal churches is the reliance they have on the anointing. And uh, as I go back to my Bible college years, and over 50 years ago, I attended CBC. I didn't realize it was so long ago, 50 years ago. And uh, when I attended Bible college, the emphasis was not on the academic. The emphasis was on the anointing. In fact, uh, the two principles that... uh, I sat under or learned under Pastor Bartholomew. He was an army man that I think had a little experience in church life and he was the principal when I went to the Bible college. In my second year, I had Pastor Harrison from Adelaide. He was a retired school headmaster that in his spare time... uh, produced wonderful notes of teaching and I think at night time he had a Bible college uh, uh, that that he ran and he was the principal. Now the lecturers, none of them were academic. Most of them were successful pastors in the area that would come and minister the word of God. The only academic person that uh, taught us was someone from another church that taught Greek. Unfortunately, I was not good at Greek and uh, I don't even know if I passed that subject. But going back to the mid-60s, it wasn't so much how well you were trained that made you successful in ministry. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that would come upon you. And at college, every one of us, all the students would talk about the anointing and wanted to be anointed. And I really had no understanding of what the anointing was. I thought the anointing was for me to make me a better preacher. That's what I thought. You know, if I get up and I can speak in a way that people feel I'm anointed, I've succeeded. In fact, I misunderstood the anointing. Because the anointing is never for an individual. 
The anointing is for others as it flows through us. And in my early years of ministry, I tried to understand the anointing in terms of preaching. And I I tried uh, all sorts of uh, preaching, uh, hoping that it would be anointed. And I confused the anointing with loud preaching. You know, the louder you are, it means there's more anointing, there's more blessing on your ministry. And then from uh, loud uh, uh, preaching, uh, uh, I I went on to uh, uh, other forms of preaching where uh, I I, I copied others. Uh, uh, I looked at uh, uh, preaching that was emotional. Uh, Then I heard someone from the States that would preach and they would drag out the uh, consonants in the last word. I was never good at that, but I tried it. And then I tried gymnastic preaching, you know, where you're pretty lively on the platform. And I tried all these forms of preaching, thinking that the anointing was there. All I got were unusual looks from the congregation. It wasn't me. It wasn't anointing. And then when I ministered in an ordinary way, years later, I'd meet some of these people and some of them still remembered some of the things I had spoken about. You see, the anointing, I understood the anointing. Somehow, it's for me to be a better preacher, a better speaker. But I didn't realize till much later on, the anointing will always be given to you if you're going to be a blessing or a channel of blessing to others. It's never ours for personal use selfishly to make us look better or make us look as though we are better ministers. As far as I was concerned, the anointing was related to preaching only and the anointing could only be seen in preaching. It was such a limited view I was so wrong because the anointing was never for me. It was always for others to come through me. The anointing is not limited to preaching, but embraces all ministries to others, both spiritual and physical. And this, this is where every one of us this morning can realize our place in the body and our place in the church and recognize that every one of us can be recipients and can uh, allow the anointing to flow through our lives as we bless the church and bless the city. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, these are the areas that he was anointed in, to preach the gospel to the poor. That's, there's preaching there, and of course, there's more than preaching as you focus upon the needs of the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. It's more than preaching. There's a ministry of relating to people and being able to allow God to work through you and heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. More than just preaching but setting men and women free. Preaching the recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed 
or downtrodden and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what the anointing was for in the life of Jesus. Far beyond teaching, far beyond preaching, but a hands-on ministry to others as the Spirit of God flowed through him. Peter, preach, Peter preaching to Cornelius' household in Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the anointing was related to doing good, to doing good within the church, within the community, within our city. So I learned over the years that the anointing, preaching, anointed preaching is just a very small part of the wonderful anointing of God that can be upon the lives of God's people. Now I'm going to take an unusual passage of scripture. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. And I want to show you how the anointing of God was at work in an area that wasn't on the surface spiritual. It was very hands-on, craftsman-like, physical kind of work. Now Exodus chapter 35 and reading from verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called the name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. The anointing filled with the Spirit of God. What in? In wisdom, understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Eliab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and all, and of the weaver, those who do every work and choose who design artistic works. Now we go to chapter 36 and we find these two men at work. And Bezalel and Eliab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Ahiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary 
and they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded them to do. What a remarkable passage of scripture where Israel rose to the challenge of building a house for God and how it relates to us within this sanctuary and this church where they got so involved and people were anointed not only to teach, not only to pray for people, but they were anointed to use the giftings that God had and Bezalel and Elahiah, I, I always find it hard to pronounce him a bit like you, Pastor Marty, with that other word that you're struggling with. But these men were anointed and their work was involved in the building of the house of God. And there was so much of God. The people were so enthused. They so wanted to build a house for God that in the end there was too much in terms of the gifts brought and the people responding, there was an overwhelming response to serve God. What a wonderful thing that was. And Bezalel shows us that the anointing of God is not only in terms of spiritual ministry, but can be involved in every aspect of the word of God. And Bezalel was the a man that was responsible for building the most amazing piece of furniture the world has ever known. He was involved in building the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was, was amazing in that it housed God's presence, in that it was a blueprint of God's plan of salvation, in that it was a, 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 a form of leading the people into victory as the Ark of the Covenant would go before Israel. Now, the most expensive piece of furniture that has ever been made is the chest of badminton. Now, it's not where you put badminton rackets, but in fact, in around about 1725, one of the earls in England, passing through Florence, had uh, the house of uh, uh, McKee, I think it was. I don't know how you pronounce it. And uh, he had him, uh, commissioned him to build uh, a chest, uh, a wonderful chest. And uh, this became uh, the most expensive piece of furniture ever made. Uh, it was commissioned by, his name was Henry, Henry Somerset. He was only 19 years of old, but he, uh, he certainly had a taste for that which was quality. And this chest took 30 craftsmen six years to make. So it was an amazing piece of furniture. Built in the 18th century... And it remained at Badminton House uh, until it was auctioned in the late 20th century. It was made of ebony. It was over 12 feet high. It had scenes made of precious stones right in the front, a clock on top and around. It was just an amazing piece of furniture. It was sold in uh, 19... Uh, 
uh, what was it, what year was it, 1990 it was sold uh, to, uh, no, I'm sorry, in 2004 it was sold for uh, uh, $19.9 million. Then a few years later uh, it was sold for $36.7 million. An amazing piece of furniture, the most expensive in some ways in the secular world, the most wonderful piece of furniture ever made. But I want to tell you that the Ark of the Covenant superseded its beauty, its wonder, its power, and its potential for blessing the world at the moment. That piece of furniture is in a museum. It was bought by a family, put into a museum, so everyone can enjoy it. But for 200 years, it just stayed in the house of badminton. It's, uh, and yet, I want to tell you this morning, it's insignificant when you compare it to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the most amazing piece of furniture that was ever made. The Ark of, of the Covenant was God's gift of salvation to the world. It was the dwelling place of God in the holiest of holies, in the temple and then in the, uh, in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And Bezalel, who was a master craftsman, he was anointed of God. He took these small pieces of acacia wood and they would have been so hard to kind of manage in a way where he could build the actual chest. And then the uh, chest was covered in gold. And then on top there was a solid slab of gold with uh, two cherubim, one on each side, and they would meet in the center, and uh, he would have holes uh, or, or rings on the side of this piece of furniture, and, and, and there were golden uh, staffs, uh, rods that were put in there that it could be carried around. It was an amazing piece of furniture made of uh, acacia wood or shittim wood, possibly not quite sure. It was only four feet by two and a half feet by two and a half feet. And it was the most important piece of furniture that was ever made. The Ark of the Covenant helps us understand how the anointing functions. You see, it was, it was crafted by a man that was anointed. It was crafted by Bezalel as he, as he followed the blueprints that Moses had given him as God had given those blueprints to Moses. And as he made those uh, exactly as required and, and it had to be identical in every particular way as he made this piece of furniture for the temple that God would dwell there, God would dwell with his people, and God would lead his people. Now, the Apostle Paul, some thousands of years later, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What an amazing statement. In the Old Testament, we have the wonderful tabernacle, wonderful temple. And then Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And so just as God would 
come and, and, uh, and, and, and above the cherubim there he would manifest his presence there. He would dwell in the holiest of holies. Uh, so Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit, when we receive Christ, comes and dwells within our spirit. And what Bezalel made as he followed God's instructions with the uh, Ark of the Covenant, uh, he gave us an understanding of our temple. When God created us, God created us as a temple because of sin. God had not dwelt. We disobeyed God. We, we, the world became lost and then God followed his plan of salvation. Jesus came. He died on the cross. Our sins were forgiven. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured upon the church and the Holy Spirit from that moment indwelt every believer that received Christ. In the Old Testament, the anointing was always outward. You'd uh, have the oil and uh, uh, kings were anointed. Um, you had prophets that were anointed and priests. It was an outward anointing. It, there was an anointing oil and that would be poured upon the recipient. So Old Testament, the anointing would come from out upon and these people would be consecrated, gifted uh, to serve God. And it wasn't only priests, kings and prophets because that involves only those involved in spiritual work but as we have seen, others like those that built the house of God, the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant. Now in the Old Testament, we have what we refer to as the dispensation of the Father. In fact, God was ruling the world. He was most involved and he would allow the Holy Spirit to come upon individuals and so the Old Testament was the dispensation of the Father. In the, uh, when Jesus was born for the space of 33 years, we find that was the dispensation of the Son. Of the Son, Jesus, what Jesus did, all that was happening, the mo most important things that were happening at that time came through Jesus. And then from the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and we were able, because sins had been forgiven and dealt with, we were able to receive the Holy Spirit. We are living in the day of the Holy Spirit. We are living in a remarkable time, a time in which the Holy Spirit can indwell and does indwell each one of us. And the Holy Spirit within us is able to release his anointing to let it flow and bless the kingdom of God. Now, when you look at the uh, Ark of the Covenant, it helps us understand somewhat what we're made of. When you look at the tabernacle, you had the outer court, you had the holy place, and you had the holy of holies. The outer court represents or speaks of our body. Everyone can see. We, I can see you. You can see me. We can touch. Whatever we do, we seen by all. That's the outer court. In the tabernacle, the outer court, you could come and you could see the priests at work as they flayed the animals, did their work. Everyone can see what goes on. Then you have the holy place. 
In the holy place, there's not, not everyone. The priests, uh, more or less, as they come in, you've got the seven golden uh, lampstand and, and you could see what was going on as preparations were made. And then you had the holiest of holies. Now, the holy place speaks to us of our soul of our soul, that in some ways it's possible to somewhat see what's going on, but it's not visible totally to all. And then our soul, of course, has our mind, emotion and will. Uh, our body has our five senses. Our soul has our motion, uh, emotion, mind and will. And then we come into the holiest of holies. It was pitch black. Only the presence of God was there. Nothing could be seen. It was the innermost part of the tabernacle and that speaks to us of our spirit. You know, we, we know a lot about our body, we should. We pay a lot of attention to our body. We know a lot about our soul. You know, we educate our minds. We control our emotions. We control our will. We know a lot, but we don't normally know as much about our spirit. And... Uh, Bezalel, under the anointing of God as he made the Ark of the Covenant, God placed in the Ark of the Covenant three things. He placed a pot of manna. A pot of manna, he placed the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. And he placed Aaron's rod that budded. Now these three things are very significant because God reveals to us the makeup of our spirit, what's within our spirit. Within our spirit, we have the two tablets of stone that represent the law of God. They silently accuse and excuse all our behavior. They represent the conscience. Every one of us have a conscience. The conscience is much deeper than our mind's determination of what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. The conscience within us has been placed there by God and we often know something's wrong even before our mind tells us this is not right. It's conscience working from our spirit. Now also in our spirit uh, uh, that they put within the Ark of the Covenant a golden pot of manna. Now the manna was to be collected every day. It was delightful food. In the end, of course, Israel got sick of it and wanted meat. But it was like honeycomb. Uh, beautiful, uh, flaky, uh, some refer to it as angel's food, lovely food. And uh, as a memorial, uh, God instructed Moses to have a golden pot of manna placed within the Ark of the Covenant. Now that represents communion. It represents a dependence upon God. It represents God's faithful faithfulness, the way God cares for us, what God will do for us, that God will look after every one of our needs. And so within our spirit, we have the function of communion. And from the function of communion, faith is released and worship is released. Because we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that comes from the communion that is represented by the pot of manna. And then the third uh, article that was within the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that budded. Now there's quite an interesting story concerning this. The children of Israel, even with the abundance and the good things God would do, they murmured. 
and they murmured against Moses and against Levi and they doubted their leadership and there was a stirring and God had to judge and God judged the stirring and uh, all the murmuring and what was going on. And then God said, I'll show you who I approve of. And 12 tribes of Israel, the head of each tribe was to get a staff or a rod, possibly a rod, three, three, four foot high, and they were to engrave the tribe's name on that. And so uh, you would have had Judah, you would have had Levi, Reuben, whatever, go through the tribes. And then they would have to be placed within the uh, tabernacle. And then God said that whatever staff or rod buds that's the leadership I have chosen and I'm blessing and I'm showing you and so they all did that the next morning they found that uh, Aaron's rod Levi not only budded it had blossoms and it had almonds all over the night And very clearly, God revealed that Levi, the priests, and Moses were those chosen of God. See, that knowledge came not through the senses, but that that knowledge came direct from God. And so within our spirits, we have intuition. Intuition. Now, intuition is a wonderful function faculty. It's knowledge that comes to us not through our mind... But apart from our mind, it comes from the Holy Spirit, comes from within. And every one of us, I'm sure, have experienced there are times when we sense a nudging to do something. There's no logical sense for us to do it. It's not that we've sat down, made a list, really, I've got to go and visit this person and do this. But suddenly there comes from within to our mind some knowledge that's not mind-based, that's not intellect base it's intuition it's intuition what a wonderful thing and within our spirit we have intuition and that's represented by Aaron's rod that budded you see our spirits we need to understand our spirits that there's communion uh, there's uh, intuition and uh, there's conscience because when the Holy Spirit comes within us he doesn't he dwells within our bodies of the temple People can see the outside. You can see a little about our personality. But when we come to our spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within our spirit. And he can can only work through conscience, through function, uh, through, through, I'm sorry, the function of intuition and through our communion with God. That's the only way he can work. And we need to learn to listen and understand how the Spirit of God from our spirit can get to our soul and then our soul can get our body to do what it wants. Isn't that right? The spirit cannot do that directly. It has to come through the soul and in the soul we have our will. The will's in the soul. Uh, You know, we can understand there's intellect in the soul and uh, there's emotion in the soul. As God dwelt in the holiest of holies between the worshipping cherubim above the mercy seat and on top of the Ten Commandments, pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded, today the Holy Spirit dwells within our spirit 
relying on the functions of spirit, communion, intuition, conscience, which enable us to produce faith and worship and serve God. The Old Testament anointing was outward oil poured upon the recipient. In the New Testament, the anointing is within and needs to be released and flow through our soul and our body. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, recognized that often people have difficulty distinguishing soul and spirit. And he writes, or whoever it was, I think it was Paul, for the word of, in in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. You see, it's only God's word that can show us the difference between our soul and our spirit. There are no books. Uh, When we look at the world, we, we, we understand that some people seem to have a very strong intuition. They seem to have knowledge that, that, that it's beyond just normal intellect knowledge. And they have means of communicating that maybe are almost abnormal. But it's only the Word of God that's able to that the sharp two-edged sword is able to separate the two and praise God for that because it helps us so much. The soul makes it possible for the spirit and the body to communicate and to cooperate. We live our lives co-joined. Body and soul are yoked together in everyday living. And I think I've I've missed a page or two, but I was just going to say that when we look at the anointing and the work that we can do, you know, the Word of God says we can do all things. Okay, now, you know, we've got to understand we can do all things according to our genetic abilities and according to the demands God's Word places upon us. Within your abilities, you can do all that God requires you to serve him. Now, Pastor Marty can get a bucket of anointing oil. And he can pour it over me. And Pastor uh, Margot can come and pray that I'll sing like an angel. Okay? That, That I'll be able to sing in tune and lead the people like Levi does with his lovely voice. It'll never happen. I can do all things. No, I can't. I can do all things within the giftings that God has given me. And no disrespect for the power of their prayers. The reality is I'm never going to sing well. And I know that some of you are just vying to find out that uh, the song fest between Pastor Mike and myself, we're still uh, trying to sort out who's the worst singer in the church. And uh, we we haven't quite settled that, but I want to settle it this morning by saying that I sat close enough to Pastor Mike to realize he sings better than me. (laughs) So I have to take the honorable title as the worst singer in the church. No no, no amount of prayer is going to change that very much. Believe me, I've tried all sorts of things over 50 years. Nothing's worked. Uh, God's anointing, of course, uses what we have, the giftings that God has placed, and that they become empowered and we're able to do more through them than we could. But I I just want to look at yokes in a different way. And if you look at the history of yokes, they have a a sad history. You know, uh, yokes are 
uh, co-joining implements and they were used in slavery and, and they've been misused terribly. But at the same time, when you look at the teaching of the Word of God, the Word of God... Uh, speaks both about the good of yokes and the bad that yokes can do. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, yokes can uh, speak about bondage and oppression. But really, when you see the work of yokes with oxen, they're a blessing. You try to control, and Pastor uh, Arden Burrell, he's probably had more farming experience, but if you try to control uh, you know, two oxen, uh, you know, that aren't yoked together. It's bedlam. You can't do your work properly. Yokes bring a discipline. They combine uh, a oneness of purpose. And yokes aren't necessarily bad. They can be bad, but they're not necessarily bad. Now, whether we like it or not, our bodies are yoked to our souls. Would you agree with that? Okay, our bodies are yoked to our souls. And, uh, you know, that's the only way we can live. But it's not always good. Uh, You know, sometimes the body's just so full of energy, but the soul has no motivation. None of you ever have those kind of mornings where, you know, you know you've got to do all these things, but the soul says, no, not today. We'll do it another day. We'll do it another time. We're yoked. We're yoked to our souls. Okay. And when you look at the uh, Word of God, as it speaks about this wonderful uh, uh, passage in Isaiah 10.27, and it shall come to pass in that day uh, that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder. That's a Syrian bondage. And his yoke from your neck... And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Now, that's one of the great passages that Pentecostal churches, that the the anointing breaks the yoke. And that's a wonderful thing when it comes to the yoke of bondage and when it comes to what God's able to do in terms of those things that restrict us. And when we look at the particular word here, uh, translated in this translation, anointing oil, the King James Version refers to it as, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Okay, and the NIV says, and the yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. Okay, now that fatness is good fatness. Okay, it's soul fatness. It's not physical fatness and uh, there's one word for oil another word for fatness and it's the difference between an e the vowels an e and an a and possibly the translators as they often sat like you sit here and you'd have a uh, um, uh, a rabbi that would sit and read and they would uh, as they heard they would copy the scriptures in that way so But it doesn't matter because the anointing, which is within our spirit, the Holy Spirit can come and that oil, when it comes to our body and soul being combined and yoked together and there's difficulty, the oil 
brings about smoothness. The oil brings about lubrication. The oil is able to make what apparently is difficult pleasant. So that interpretation's good. And the other translation where will become fat is good too. The idea there is that, that the anointing makes the soul fat. The Holy Spirit through our conscience, through our intuition, through our communion, our faith, our worship, so strengthens, so strengthens the soul that it breaks away from its normal limitations and is able to allow the body to do the service of God. I like both. It's the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Now, when we look at Jesus, there's a legend that tells us that uh, Jesus probably uh, was a carpenter in Nazareth, Nazareth, and he had a shop, a workshop that made yokes. Okay, this is what legend says, and it, it seems to make a lot of sense to me. And, uh, and uh, you know, above his shop, yokes that fit well. And so I could imagine it's legend. Okay, it can be true, it may not be true. We know that Jesus was probably a carpenter, isn't that right? You know, his father was a carpenter, he was brought up, and he could make yokes to perfection that when they came on the oxen, they would work, they would combine, they would work so well. Because Jesus had a few words to say about yokes. Um, okay, I've just got to find where it is. Yes, uh, uh, that's why uh, Jesus could say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29, he says, come to me, all you that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Now this is the key of ministering for God. It doesn't matter where it is, if we take Jesus' yoke. You see, serving God should never be irksome, should never be difficult, should never be, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. Oh, it's too hard. There's too much effort. It's wrong. If we take Jesus' yoke, we have the key of serving God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Ministry and serving the Lord is not meant to be burdensome or hardship. It's meant to be joy. The anointing breaks the yoke. The soul listens and allows the anointing, the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit within our spirit. It allows that to flow and listens and obeys. And this breaks any bondage of limitation, any bondage. I don't know if I really want to do it, whether I can do it well or not. It breaks the anointing, breaks the yoke. The anointing is given to bless others. It's God's oil of enabling and involvement in blessing the world. 
In this age of the Holy Spirit, it's available to every one of us here. You know, sometimes we need to look at the anointing beyond church life. The anointing is to bless others. And, you know, there are some professions that are more involved in caring and helping others. For example, the caring profession or the medical profession. And, you know, God honors that. And there's a biblical base for for doctors and medicine and professions like that can not only operate with the wonderful knowledge that they've accumulated through study and experience, but they can allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to take them beyond the abilities and have that touch of God that can make all the difference. You know, there are times when I've been to a doctor and I leave with no medicine, but I leave feeling better. I leave feeling better. There's just that ability they've got to somehow ease, put your mind at rest. They've just got that approach. And I, I believe there's an anointing in those caring ministries. You know, we, we, look, we need to look at the anointing beyond just church life. Wherever you are, whatever you do, let the Spirit of God within you listen to the voice of intuition. Obey conscience. Let faith flow from communion and allow the anointing and the flow of the Holy Spirit to work through you in your workplace and amongst your friends. Any service on behalf of others can be anointed. God wants to anoint with his enabling, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. There are many ministries in the church. Some weeks ago, uh, I attended Hope Cafe. I'd promised to come a number of times and I came and uh, Pastor Margot thought Mary wasn't cooking for me that night, but I, I did have other motives. But I did enjoy the meal, by the way. But I was impressed as I saw the clockwork mechanism at work. And I thought to myself, I go to restaurants and pay a lot of money and wait a lot longer for my meal. And it wasn't only the precision and the wonderful way everything was organized, but but I just sensed something of the other world, something of God in every worker. There was a joy. I could see an anointing. I could see a touch of God. I could see that they, they loved what they were doing. Everything just, just flowed so beautifully as these people. Some of them, I, I learned that uh, they don't like waiting longer than half an hour. Well, maybe we're all a bit like that for our food. But anyhow, the, 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 the way it was, I, I was absolutely amazed and how wonderfully the people were ministered to. And I thought, I, see, I, I saw so much anointing there. Even the cook had an anointed palate. Right? The food was good. The food was good. Uh, see, so, so the anointing goes beyond just this room here. The anointing flowed so beautifully. And, uh, you know, the singing, how important the singing is and the worship to lead us. Uh, People that are anointed within their abilities. What a blessing they are. The children's ministry. What a wonderful ministry 
the anointing. Every one of us can be involved. As the tabernacle, they were preparing to build the house of God. There was too much manpower and too many gifts. But I don't think that's the case here, Pastor Marty. We can use everyone. Absolutely, there we are. And Bezalel was anointed. And we can be anointed in every kind of task, the cleaning. It's, it's all, it all has an anointing. You know, we have a wonderful passage of Scripture, Psalm 23, 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Um, you know, let's look at the enemies. I can't do it. People think that I've got too many problems. Uh, my life's not totally, I'm working on it. And we've got all these enemies. And what does God say? He prepares a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Isn't that wonderful? All the negatives from serving God, maybe times that you've failed that didn't work before. Maybe you feel there's all these enemies, but God prepares a table, and that table provides everything, everything that you need to serve your God and your maker. He doesn't stop there. Then he says, you anoint my head with oil. And some feel that the concept of anointing came from uh, a shepherds anointing their sheep because you'd have lice and ticks that would crawl up into their ears and nostrils and mouths and could give them a fatal disease. And so the shepherds anointed their sheep and the bugs would slide and slip and couldn't get to those parts of the body they could damage. God says that he anoints a head with oil. There's a protection of God, the oil of the Holy Spirit. And finally, and my cup runs over. What God gives is more than enough with his anointing for any service that he wants me to do within the house of God. It took me years to understand the anointing. As far as I was concerned, if I could jump up and down and scream and carry on, I was anointed. And that was the anointing. It wasn't. It wasn't. And I'm so glad that the anointing's available for every one of us. From our spirit, learn to listen. Let the Holy Spirit flow to your soul. Let him break that yoke that prevents you doing all that you want to do. Let your soul become so fat with the things of God that the shackles are broken and you're free to serve God. Amen? Amen. God bless you.